If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Happy weekend eve, folks. Yes, we've made it to the end of another week. I hope yours was good, but if not, at least it's over, right? We have some juicy topics to cover before settling in for whatever personal to-do list we might have over the weekend. I will be picking up a vintage transmission that I hope is in good condition, because race car. Rebuilding that will be much more fun and far less dirty than politics. Let's jump right into today's first story. The special counsel investigation of President Joe Biden has concluded. His mishandling of classified documents were under investigation. You see, while Democrats like to continually remind people that Trump had classified documents laying around Mar-a-Lago, and he did, they seem to forget that Joe Biden had classified documents around his home in Delaware. To be clear, both of them are guilty. Trump's day in court is yet to come, but the Justice Department has concluded their investigation into Joe Biden and will not be prosecuting. Partisanship? Maybe, but maybe not. You see, while Biden will not face punishment, the reasoning behind this may be far more damaging to him. Special Counsel Robert Herr, a former Trump official, spent over a year investigating. He found materials included marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, notebooks containing Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security, and foreign policy implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. The FBI found material all over Biden's house and garage, the same garage where he likely parts his sweet 1967 Corvette. Seriously, he has one, and it's one of the few cool things about the guy. The report details some of the documents were classified at the highest level of secrecy and spanned Mr. Biden's career in national public life, but were retained during times when he was a private citizen. Her opted not to prosecute, not because he doesn't have evidence, but rather that Biden's memory was significantly limited, which Her concluded would make it hard for a jury to convict beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good, does it? The report describes President Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee to run for a second four-year term as, quote, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Holy shit. Investigators noticed how the president's memory appeared hazy when discussing the war in Afghanistan debate that was once so important to him. Biden couldn't remember important details about his own life either, according to investigators. The report details... In his interview with our office, Mr. Biden's memory was worse. He did not even remember when he was vice president. He did not remember, even within several years, when his son Bo died. While it's a relief for Biden that the investigation has concluded with no planned prosecution, the manner and reasoning why will certainly impact him in the general election. The Trump camp is already taking talking points for test drives, with Alex Pfeiffer, spokesman for the Trump Super PAC Make America Great Again Incorporated, saying, if you're too senile to stay in trial, then you're too senile to be president. Joe Biden is unfit to lead this nation. He's not wrong. But we see the Democratic National Committee collude with Biden to twist the rules in his favor, despite so many signs of him being in serious decline. The Democrats are too invested in this demonstrably problematic candidate to switch horses now. They are in for a penny, in for a pound, and willing to drag us all along, if you let them. This is not a pitch for Trump. He's a full-blown sociopath, and that's a whole other problem. It's a pitch for literally anybody but these two. 
Democratic primary challenger Marianne Williamson, fresh off earning almost 2% of the votes in South Carolina, has tapped out. Wednesday, she suspended her campaign. Williamson ran in 2020 also with similar results, but in that contest, with a large field of candidates and televised debates, Williamson qualified for and had some impact on the first two. She was very unconventional, and even though the pundits dismissed her campaign as a joke, she got the attention of viewers and gave as good, some say better, than she got on those debate stages. She complained then of lack of media coverage of her campaign, and the farce that is this election cycle's coronation has likely not changed her opinion or proven her wrong. Williamson's exit leaves Dean Phillips as the last challenger to Joe Biden. Perhaps there will be some consolidation and support behind him. The one debate Williamson and Phillips held that they set up themselves was a real love-in. They diverged very little on the issues and looked to genuinely be enjoying what was really a conversation, not a debate. If they can work together to pump up his underwhelming campaign, perhaps Phillips could make some progress. The Nevada and U.S. Virgin Islands caucuses were held yesterday. The Democrats were competing in just Nevada, the Republicans in both. The Democrats go to the polls in the Virgin Islands on the 8th of June. Nikki Haley was not on the ballot in the caucus in Nevada because she was on the ballot in the primary that happened there on the 6th. If you're not up to speed on that, here's a quick explanation. The state of Nevada wanted a primary and scheduled it for the 6th. Nikki Haley signed up for that. The Nevada Republican Party wanted a caucus and scheduled it for the 8th. Donald Trump signed up for that. The party also decided only the results of the caucus count towards awarding delegates. Neat, huh? To add insult to injury, Nikki Haley, knowing no matter what, she would earn no delegates in Nevada and not even running against Donald Trump in the primary, still lost. Nikki Haley lost to none of these candidates, 30% to 63%, more than double. Who is none of these candidates? Where do they stand on the issues? It's not a person, it's an idea. People have often joked about having a choice for none of the above when presented with several unappealing candidates. Well, that's what this is. The count is not complete, but at the time of this writing, Nikki Haley got nearly 23,000 votes. None of these candidates got 47,000. Nikki Haley lost to nobody. Ouch. That was Tuesday, though. Thursday just happened and the count continues, but with Donald Trump's only opposition, Ryan Binkley, who? Exactly. He's going to win and be awarded all 26 of Nevada's delegates. On the Democrat side, Joe Biden is at almost 90% to Marianne Williamson's 3%, but as I just reported, she dropped out, so it doesn't matter. None of these candidates is also running on the Democrat ticket and may reach 6%. There were 11 other candidates on the Democratic primary ballot in Nevada, but Dean Phillips was not one of them. In the Virgin Islands, Trump won 74% to 26%, earning all four of the territory's delegates. As Republican voters went to the polls in the Virgin Islands yesterday, almost 300 of them, they cast their votes in a relatively uncommon way, ranked choice. This system is rare, with only Alaska and Maine using it for both primaries and general elections, and only Wyoming's Democratic primary using this system. Maine was the first state to institute a ranked choice voting system, doing so in 2018 in time for that year's primaries. Alaska voters approved their initiative in the 2020 election. In Maine, state-level senators, representatives, and the governor require a plurality based on the state constitution, so they are elected in the standard manner 
but federal offices are elected using the ranked choice system. Plurality is a system whereby a party, candidate, or proposition polls more votes than any other but does not receive more than half of the votes cast. Ranked choice is different than what other states use. In this system, voters select multiple candidates and then rank them by choice. If no candidate breaks 50%, the candidate that receives the, the fewest first choice votes is eliminated in the first round. Any votes cast for that candidate are not wasted though. With ranked choice, they are recycled and redistributed to the second choice candidate the voter ranked. This pattern continues until there are only two candidates left and then the one with the most votes wins. In an interview, director of the U.S. Virgin Islands Republican Party, Dennis Lennox, explained the benefits of this system. We created a fair and level playing field for each and every candidate. He added, ranked choice voting ensures there's no such thing as a wasted vote. There's no such thing as a spoiler candidate. According to FairVote, approximately 5,500 New Hampshire voters cast wasted ballots because their choice had withdrawn. Director of Policy at FairVote, Deb Otis, explained, We need a system that gives voters more voice and more choice on the ballot. She suggested that ranked choice can correct this issue by keeping candidates in the race longer, saying, quote, There's a lot of speculation about if so-and-so drops out, will it help this other candidate or will it help a different candidate? and candidates get pushed out before the voters even have their say. Since Maine has been doing it this way for a few years, there are some data points to be examined to see if the results in Maine support the claims of the advocates for the ranked choice system. An MIT election lab study used two methods. The first was a direct survey of voters, and the second an analysis of observational data. The surveyed metrics were voter satisfaction, perceptions of partisan benefit, ease of use, and the time it took to complete a ballot. Respondents were randomly assigned a hypothetical ballot using either a ranked choice system or a regular plurality style one and their responses collected. In this first component of the study, the results relative to ranked choice voting style ballots were voter confidence and satisfaction were lower. Ease of use was lower, with an average of almost 12 seconds more per candidate compared to a plurality style ballot. The perception of partisan benefit was higher as well, the idea that the system was hurting their number one choice candidate. What went up 5% was, quote, sincere voting. Essentially, the argument you hear the two major parties call throwing away your vote when you don't vote for either of them since the third choice, quote, can't win. Even though there are a lot of negatives listed, they align with the ranked choice cheerleaders, well, cheers. They promised more choices. They did not promise easier voting or increased voter satisfaction. They promised increased chances for more candidates to stay in the race, and the sincere voting results directly support that. In the second part of the study, the effects of ranked choice on the campaigns and level of civility was examined. Many proponents of this system assert its use will lead to a greater overall civility in the race as candidates don't want to run a scorched earth campaign that might alienate the supporters of other candidates, dashing any hopes of possibly securing a second place ranking among them if their number one candidate is eliminated. Unfortunately, the results don't support that. Looking at spending on negative marketing and social media traffic showed 2018 season to actually be more negative than 2016. Non-major party candidates did see a 6% increase in vote share, though, which, like sincere voting, supports the claim that ranked choice systems increase choice and opportunity for candidates. 
The idea is being contended in many states, with some entertaining the idea and some others making preemptive moves to ban it completely. Whether this style of voting will garner more support or disappear entirely remains to be seen. For this election cycle, only Maine and Alaska will use it in the general election. With independent candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and a possible no-labels challenger in the field, those two states may demonstrate the impact the ranked choice system can have on a presidential election. The delegate count so far on the Republican side is 63 for Trump, 17 for Haley, and Ron DeSantis's 9 and Vivek Ramaswamy's 3 parked until appropriate time to redistribute them. Joe Biden's plot to rig the Democratic primary is working perfectly, and with him holding all 91 delegates awarded so far, isn't politics great? The next contest is in South Carolina on the GOP side on the 24th with 50 delegates in play, and Michigan on the 27th with 16 delegates up for grabs. If Nikki Haley can't start to gain traction, I just don't see her lasting past Super Tuesday on March the 5th. Her loss to none of these candidates in Nevada was not a good omen of what's to come. For the Democrats, South Carolina is in the books already. Their next show is Michigan. There are 117 delegates on the table in that state, and with Marianne Williamson no longer on the field, this may be an opportunity for Dean Phillips to get a little momentum. He is now the last man standing against Joe Biden. There are 117 delegates in play here, and if he can crest 15% of the vote, awarding of delegates is now proportional. In the most recent surveys, a February 4th Suffolk University poll and a February 5th Fiscal Alliance Foundation poll, Biden has a roughly 65-point advantage over Phillips. 70% to 6% and 74% to 9% respectively. Can Phillips shake off this funk he's in and begin to connect with the voters? We shall see. During the third Republican primary debate, then-candidate Vivek Ramaswamy called the GOP a party of losers and laid the blame at the feet of the Republican National Committee Chair Rona McDaniel, challenging her as she sat in the audience, Rona, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over, yield my time to you. Vivek was and is an acerbic little prick. But while his stunt was bad form, he wasn't necessarily wrong on this issue. Let's first get to know Rona McDaniel. McDaniel, maiden name Romney, yes, she is Mitt Romney's niece, got her start in politics working for the Michigan arm of her uncle's 2012 presidential campaign. In 2014, she was elected the representative to the Republican National Committee, and after just a year, ran for the chair of the Michigan State Republican Party. She garnered support from both establishment and Tea Party sections of the party to win. During the 2016 U.S. presidential election, McDaniel served as a delegate to the 2016 Republican National Convention for Donald Trump. McDaniel was an early convert to the cult of MAGA and removed dissenters from positions of influence in the party who wouldn't accept the orange gospel. Rona's loyalty was rewarded. When then-RNC Chair Rince Priebus was appointed Chief of Staff to the Trump White House, Trump basically anointed her as the successor at the RNC, with her getting a unanimous vote in the 2017 election for the position. Yes, MAGA was good to her, and she was a good capo regime in the organization. She was and has been a strong promoter of Trump and his policies. She has put a lot of Trump campaign workers on the RNC payroll and spent a lot of party money at Trump-owned properties and also funding Trump's legal bills. 
She made it quite clear that dissenters would be dealt with, and after a pro-Trump candidate, primary then-Congressman Mark Sanford, a known critic of Trump, McDaniel tweeted, Anyone that does not embrace the Donald Trump agenda of making America great again will be making a mistake. She meant it, too. When her own uncle, Mitt Romney, in January of 2019, criticized Donald Trump's moral character, she said the editorial, quote, by an incoming Republican freshman senator, feeds into what the Democrats and mainstream media want, and it was disappointing and unproductive. She would say in March that she would not support the nicest, most moral person in the world to be president if they were not aligned with her politics. She's committed in body and soul to the cult of MAGA. Of course, her support of Trump's claims of election interference in the 2020 general election was stalwart and unwavering, and she shamelessly parroted and pushed his bullshit claims. Republicans who didn't stand with Trump as the Democrats sought to impeach him over the January 6th attack on the Capitol were targeted by McDaniel. She organized a censure of congresspeople Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for their participation in the investigation, saying it was prosecuting, quote, ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. Say it with me, folks. Legitimate. Political. Discourse. There are so many other examples, but you get it. Suffice to say, she is MAGA to the core, her black, sticky, festering core. That makes this latest turn of events absolutely hysterical. Back to Ramaswamy and his renunciation of Rona McDaniel. You see, for all the wet work she did, leaving metaphorical horse heads in beds and whacking people who didn't toe the line for the Don, oh, he's actually named Donald. It's so perfect. Don MAGA likes these things, but you gotta earn, Rona. The organization needs earners, and lady, you didn't earn. Say what you will about Trump's new toady, Ramaswamy, but he's right. The GOP party is a party of losers, and it happened on your watch, Rona. For seven years, you've been running the crew, and for seven years, the crew has not earned. The Republicans gained two Senate seats, sure, but you lost 40, 40 House seats in the 2018 midterms. There was supposed to be a red wave, Rona. There was a red wave, all right, but it was just Republican blood in the water. In the 2020 election, the Republicans lost not just the White House, but both chambers of Congress. Add to that the fact that the RNC has the smallest amount of cash on hand since 2014, $8 million, according to a Federal Election Commission filing, you are clearly a liability. Ramaswamy was, and still is, a Donald Trump fanboy of the deepest obsession, and it seems his hero shares the opinion of Miss McDaniel's performance as the party chair. He made it clear it's time for her to go. And after a two-hour meeting with her at Mar-a-Lago, Trump posted on his Truth Social, Rona is now head of the RNC, and I'll be making a decision the day after the South Carolina primary as to my recommendations for the RNC growth. What have we learned, folks? We have learned that Trump demands loyalty from others, but his loyalty is fleeting. Here we have yet another example of someone who sold their soul to the orange man and what did it get her. Think about that as you go to the polls. This was his capo, his loyal lieutenant, and next month she'll be buried in a shallow hole somewhere, metaphorically speaking, of course. Do you seriously, seriously think he cares about you? Don't fall for that. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's poison. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.
If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.